Welcome back, Middle-earth wanderers, to Lore of the Rings. Today we explore the lore on the origins of orcs. Like many topics in J.R.R. Tolkien's world, orcs seem simple on the surface, but there's explosive complications once you open the dam. Too soon for a Mount Doom joke? Okay, moving on. Once again, spoiler alert! I'm framing the lore today from the conversation between Galadriel and Adar from Amazon's Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 6, Udun. If you don't want that spoiled for you, then come listen to this podcast after you watch the episode. You have been warned. But before we go too far, I'd like to say that the Lore of the Rings podcast is possible only because of you, fellow wanderers. Thanks to your support, we just passed 50,000 total downloads. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening, for leaving your reviews and ratings, and for sharing with your friends, be they human, elf, orc, or hobbit. The roads through Middle-earth can be difficult. We're not exactly flying on eagles' backs here. So your support in sharing the podcast or leaving a financial donation is highly appreciated. If you would like to provide a financial donation, you can do so using the links in the show notes. And as always, if you'd like to purchase any of the books that I referenced during this episode, you can do so using the links in the show notes. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's begin by returning to the conversation between Galadriel and Adar. After they discuss Sauron's actions, they move on to the nature of orcs, or Uruk, as Adar would like to be called. More on that in a minute. Adar says, quote, We are creations of the One, Master of the Secret Fire, the same as you. Let's break this down a bit. Who is the One? This is answered in the first line of the Silmarillion, quote, There was Edu, the One, who in Arda is called Iluvatar. So the One is the creator of all that is, he that existed first. He first created the Ainur, some of whom came into the world, and became the Valar and the Maiar. Also in that line was the word Arda, which was Tolkien's name for the world. What is the Secret Fire? The Secret Fire has one reference in The Lord of the Rings. In The Fellowship of the Ring, when Gandalf is facing off against the Balrog, quote, I am a servant of the Secret Fire, wielder of the Flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The Dark Fire will not avail you, Flame of Udun. Go back to the Shadow. You cannot pass. In Robert Foster's The Complete Guide to Middle-Earth, he explained that, quote, the secret fire is most probably the same as the flame imperishable. What is the flame imperishable? I know this feels like a sidetrack, but stick with me for two quotes again from the Silmarillion. First, Iluvatar explains to the Ainur that they have life because, quote, I have kindled you with the flame imperishable. And second, one of these Ainur was named Melkor. Melkor would later be known as Morgoth the great foe of the elves, and Sauron's master. Even in the beginning, before the world was created, Melkor, quote, 
had gone often alone into the void places seeking the imperishable flame. Why would he do this? The next line gives the explanation and brings us all the way back around to Galadriel and Adar's conversation. Quote, For desire grew hot within Melkor to bring into being things of his own, and it seemed to him that Iluvatar took no thought for the void, and he was impatient of its emptiness. Yet he found not the fire, for it was with Iluvatar. Now let's go a little further to explain the secret fire and why Adar claims that orcs are creations of Iluvatar, same as the elves. Tolkien was deeply religious, and as a Catholic Christian believed in the duality of the spiritual and physical nature of living things. Here's a line from some thoughts that Tolkien wrote down on some spare examination papers at Oxford, and I'll translate the elvish words for you. Quote, For the function of the body, of one of the incarnate, is to house a spirit, the absence of which is unnatural to it, so that such a body is not ever in precisely the like case with a body that has never possessed a spirit. It has suffered a loss. Moreover, while the spirit was with it, the spirit inhabited it in every part and portion. Karl Hostetter put it this way, quote, It is the nature of incarnate persons, both elves and men, to be a unity of body and spirit, such that if either is lost or separated, the incarnate person is incomplete and has suffered a grievous loss and disruption to its nature. So let's bring this back around, and I'll try to sum it up in one sentence. Adar claims that the orcs, by their nature, have spirits, because of the secret fire, or imperishable flame, that Iluvatar the One possesses. What would be the opposite of Adar's claims? What would the nature of creatures without the imperishable flame, or secret fire, be? Lucky for us, we have a great example, and that is the creation of the dwarves. The fathers of the dwarves were created by the Vala Aule. He was the craftsman and smith of the Valar. His desire was to bring new creatures to life, so that he could love and teach them. However, when Iluvatar learned what Aule had done, he reproved him, saying that Aule had overstepped his authority and power, saying in part, quote, For thou hast from me as a gift thy own being only, and no more. And therefore the creatures of thy hand and mind can live only by that being moving when thou thinkest to move them, and if thy thought be elsewhere, standing idle. I see a couple of relevant insights to draw from this example. The power to create independent, thinking, living creatures remains with the Luvatar, not the Valar. If the Valar create new beings, they are more like mindless automatons who move only when their creator thinks or wills them to move. Otherwise, they sit unmoving until their creator thinks of them again. This is because they lack the secret flame or imperishable fire, which Adar claims the orcs have. Lucky for Aule, when he takes up a hammer to smash the fathers of the dwarves, they flinch in fear because Iluvatar has decided to pass the secret fire into them. Quote, Dost thou not see that these things have now a life of their own and speak with their own voices? Else they would not have flinched from thy blow, nor from any command of thy will. So when Anar claims that they are creations of the One, master of the secret fire, he is saying that the orcs have a spirit, a life of their own, and that they are as worthy of life as the elves. And to this claim, that the orcs are worthy of a life and home, Gladriel contends. Her viewpoint is that the orcs were a mistake, we'll get to that in just a minute, and it's her life's mission to eradicate them, 
because they are a scourge on Middle-earth. The fanbase has reacted pretty negatively to these lions from Galadriel. Perhaps you've seen the meme bouncing around social media that Adar, who is the villain, wants a home for his children, while Galadriel, the heroine, is attempting to commit genocide. A pretty stark contrast, and I'll be interested to see how the showrunners resolve that. Adar ends the conversation with some life advice for Galadriel. She is also corrupted by darkness, and maybe she should have stopped looking for darkness in her own mirror. A quite unveiled reference to Galadriel's mirror, which Frodo and Sam will look into in the Fellowship of the Ring. But this is the debate that raged in Tolkien's mind concerning the orcs. One philosophy says that they are a corrupted, evil mistake, while the other asks if they are worthy of life, or even redeemable from their evil. And if you like a really concrete, solid, black and white answer, you're going to be disappointed, because not even the master himself, Tolkien, was able to answer that debate. But let's explore what we can. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Appendix F in Return of the King says, quote, The orcs were first bred by the dark power of the north in elder days, and these creatures were filled with malice, hating even their own kind. In the Silmarillion, we get a bit more detail, but Tolkien even hedges his bet by saying, quote, Little is known of a certainty. However, the tale goes that soon after the elves awoke near the lake Gvivienen, Morgoth was aware of them, and sent, quote, shadows and evil spirits to spy upon them and waylay them. The elves were fearful of these prowling shadows, and, quote, if any of the elves strayed far abroad, alone or few together, they would often vanish and never return. The wisest among the elves believed that these elves that had been ensnared by Melkor, a.k.a. Morgoth, and that, quote, by slow arts of cruelty were corrupted and enslaved. Thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of the orcs in envy and mockery of the elves, of whom they were afterwards the bitterest of foes. Tolkien says that, quote, this it may be was the vilest deed of Melkor and the most hateful of Iluvatar. To further this theory on the origin of orcs, here's another line from the Silmarillion, quote, Whereas Melkor spent his spirit in envy and hate, until at last he could make nothing save in mockery of the thought of others, and all their works he destroyed if he could. This version of orcish origins fits with what Galadriel says in Rings of Power. Quote, when I was a child, I heard stories of elves taken by Morgoth, tortured, twisted, made into a new and ruined form of life and she categorizes Adar as one of the Moriandor, the Sons of the Dark, the first orcs. Adar corrects her, saying, Uruk. We prefer Uruk. The orcs certainly didn't call themselves orcs. Here's a line from Appendix F in Return of the King, quote, Orc is the form of the name that other races had for this foul people, as it was in the language of Rohan. In Sindarin, it was Orc. Maybe that doesn't sound a whole lot different, but it is spelled differently. That paragraph also gives us the origin of the term Uruk, quote, related, no doubt, was the word Uruk of the black speech, though this was applied as a rule only to the great soldier orcs that at this time issued from Mordor and Isengard. The lesser kinds were called, especially by the Urukai, Snaga, meaning slave. Let's look at Treebeard's description of orcs, quote, To be sure, ants have played their part, and not only in dealing with that, whom, that accursed tree slayer that dwelt here, for there was a great inrush of those Baraum, those 
evil-eyed, black-handed, bow-legged, flint-hearted, claw-fingered, foul-bellied, bloodthirsty, Morimate Sinkahonda. Hmm. Well, since you are hasty folk, and their full name is as long as years of torment, those vermin of orcs. And here's another description of orcs, which likely explains why they had black blood instead of red from the nature of Middle-earth. Quote, Sauron had gathered to his service all the orcs that were scattered far and wide in the northern world, cowed and masterless, furtive lurkers in dark places. He rekindled the lusts of their black hearts. Interestingly, Adar seems to be attempting the impossible with the orcs who follow him. He calls them brothers, sisters, and his children. Feelings of brotherhood and unity among the orcs were rarely ever felt, as Amazon's trivia with this episode indicates. Just go back and read any chapter where orcs have to work together, and you'll see that they don't get along well. Some good examples are the Urukai and the choices of Master Samwise in the Two Towers, and especially the Tower of Kirithangol in Return of the King. In fact, the infighting among different tribes of orcs is a major plot point. That's how Sam and Frodo were able to escape the Tower of Kirithangol and get through the land of Mordor. But the origin of orcs is not so simple. One theory is that at least some of the orc tribes came from twisted and corrupted races of men. An example of such a race we see in the chapter called The Ride of the Rohirrim in Return of the King, where a wild man from the forest offers to guide the riders of Rohan to Gondor. This man is described as, quote, a strange squat shape of a man. He was short-legged and fat-armed, thick and stumpy. Regarding these wild men, Tolkien left a note in Unfinished Tales, quote, to the unfriendly who, not knowing them well, declared that Morgoth must have bred the orcs from such a stock, the other answered, doubtless Morgoth, since he can make no living thing, bred orcs from various kinds of men, but these men must have escaped his shadow because of their laughter. But some thought nonetheless that there had been a remote kinship, which accounted for their special enmity. But here is the sticky issue. Without a soul, or being ignited by the secret fire, which we discussed earlier, the orcs would simply be mindless blobs of goo, who couldn't think for themselves, and would only act when a higher power willed them to do so, being like puppets on a string waiting for a puppeteer. Clearly, though, the orcs don't act that way in the movies or books. They serve different masters, have ambitions of their own, make their own languages and songs, and only begrudgingly work alongside orcs from other tribes. Therefore, they must have some spirit within them that gives them life. So, if they have a spirit, what happens to that spirit in the afterlife? For the elves, those who do die anyway, their spirits dwell in the house of Mondos in the west. And it's unclear if orcs inherited the elves' immortality. For men, the elves do not know for certain what happens to their spirits after death. For orcs, as far as I know, we have no guesses for what happens after they die. And here's another riddle. A riddle more complicated than what have I got in my pocket. Can the orcs be redeemed? From their corrupted state? If they were corrupted by darkness, twisted and tortured by the shadow, can they be healed of that corruption? Here's an interesting quote from Tolkien from a text called Morgoth's Ring. Quote, but even before this wickedness of Morgoth was suspected, the wise in the elder days taught always that the orcs were not made by Melkor, and therefore were not in their origin evil. They might have become irredeemable, at least by elves and men. That idea is reflected in this little gem that Elrond says during his council in Rivendell, quote, For nothing is evil in the beginning, 
That particular line was used by the Rings of Power marketing in some of the preseason trailers. But it's that last part of Tolkien's quote that opens the doors to orcs being redeemed from corruption. That, in the least, by elves and men, orcs could not be redeemed. Could the orcs be redeemed by a more powerful being? Maybe one, perhaps, who is master of the secret flame? I think even with Bilbo's gracious granting of three guesses, we won't find a satisfactory answer to that riddle. When I started this podcast, I did not think I would ever have a deep exploration of orcs, but even this topic demonstrates the depth of Tolkien's writing and genius. All forms of life are nuanced and have great detail, even if that form of life is something corrupted, something twisted as a mockery of its original creation. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.